This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome Town Hall Academy 301. I think I did the math the other day. That was like five and maybe a half, five and three quarter years. (laughs) Can you imagine consistency? Powerful single subject topics. Here's the Town Hall Academy. Glad to have you here. We're going to talk about service advisor incentive pay. I've got a great guest uh, lineup here. Dave Shadeen, coach and mentor, CompuTrek Automotive Solutions. Hello, Dave. Hi, great to be here, Carm. Thank you so much. Dave brought me this topic, and he actually has brought me a lot of topics, and we end up just doing them because they're so good. Jeffrey Grassman is here, president of CarSmart Auto Services, Sumner, Washington. Hello, Jeffrey. Morning, Carm. Glad to have you. Dave Kusa, Auto Trend Diagnostics, Campbell, California. Hello, Dave. Good morning, Carm. Important member of the ASCCA Political Action Something Committee. Uh, I know you're so involved out there, and thank you for all you do for our industry, Dave. Thank you. And Brian Kelly, uh, famous face and voice here on the podcast, CEO Valley Automotive, Covington, Washington. Hey, Brian. Hey, good morning, Carm. Glad to be here. Hey, thanks to our sponsor, Shopware and Delphi Technologies, for providing you this episode. You know, few customers will ever tell you to give them less information about the cost of a repair. Offer full transparency to your customers with notes, videos, and photos, so even the customer with the least experience can see why they need your expertise. Talk to my friends at GetShopware.com. You know, with over 2,300 SKUs and 95% sales coverage on fuel pumps, Delphi has everything you need to replace your customer's fuel pump. From OEM quality pumps, modules, GDI pumps, and fuel tank cleaning supplies to instructional videos and how-tos, get started at DelphiAftermarket.com. Hey, guys, let's dive into this great topic, service advisor incentive pay plans. You guys got a tremendous amount of talking points. Thank you so much for offering them to us. But while we were in the green room, uh, we kind of started this whole thing out. And I said, stop talking. We got to get this on record. (laughs) And so how it started was uh, Dave had told me that he heard this thought that we seem to in our company pile all kinds of tasks, jobs, responsibilities on our service advisor. And it, it just prompted you to tell us a great story. Yeah. So the other shop owner within the last 60 days was talking about how the service advisor has been ranked about fifth or sixth most stressful job in America. That started sparking my my thought. It was, okay, if I look at our industry and I look at other industries, maybe similar in nature, look at like Fortune 500 companies, large corporations, the task, duties, responsibilities that a service advisor is mandated to now handle can be handled, is typically handled in other companies by two or three people, not just one person. And even in our own industry, the business model of dealership to after to independent auto repair centers in the dealership, the advisors don't do parts. They have a whole parts department there. And so now they come to an independent and they there's a lot of reason why a lot of advisors want to leave the dealership realm. But when they come over, one of the maybe the not so positives is they've got to deal with parts now that they've never had to do before. And then some shops are large enough. And I don't know um, if, you know, Brian or Jeff, if you guys have a dedicated parts guy, but a lot of shops now, when they start getting three or four techs, especially in light of COVID, they're looking at putting some sort of a parts person in place to help free up the time on that advisor. Yeah, I mean, for us, we don't have a dedicated parts person. We try to 
automate as much stuff as we can through inspections and our point of sale system has can jobs. And, you know, we try to fine tune those things. So there's less to choose from. And obviously through the years, we've narrowed down vendors to the top one or two instead of five or six. So, uh, but I do agree with what you said. There's a lot of stuff going on. And my friend Brian here can tell about things that we took from him, obviously, which is uh, some processes, some culture in our shop and things like that are what we're working on to combat that. When you talk about what we're piling on our advisors, I mean, I look at uh, some of the stuff I've seen out there and many times an advisor will cover a general manager. They'll cover shop duties. They'll cover parts. They'll cover sales, um, which is their primary duty. You roll this all into one job. And, and anytime you're shorthanded, it seems like the advisor is the one that has to go back and forth between these, these different areas. And uh, it's literally... As you said, Dave, it's not a shock that they'd be the sixth most stressful job in the United States because mm-hmm. the amount of work that you see piled onto them over and over and over. And as owners, we wonder why they burn out in six, seven years. And uh, you know, it's really common to see them not make 10 years. It's critical that we understand it. And I think we should definitely be looking, you know, myself included, and I'm, I've been running extremely shorthanded. We usually have uh, three people on my front area. And uh, Emily, who's just an absolute rock star, has been doing it all by herself for almost eight months. Whoa. Yeah. It's brutal, but we, we find other ways of doing it. We take lead techs. We take, you know, we, we rotate different people to give her a hand. You know, honestly, you go a year like that, it's, it's, it's burnout time. And nobody wants to deal with that, you know, mm-hmm. whether at any level. And in her case, I know she's going, hey, can we find somebody? And you know, that's, <laughs> a whole, that's a whole separate issue in the industry <laughs> yeah, right, right now is finding employees. But yeah, so yeah. I'm with you. I'm a smaller shop, right? So, so, you know, I have one advisor slash manager and, and, you know, me and two technicians. And I just, from what Dave was saying, you know, the stuff we've been piling on, you know, so much more customer communication is needed and demanded. And, you know, the old model, right? When I first started as a shop owner in 2001, you know, the model was three techs to one advisor. And really it's two techs to one advisor now in my mind, maybe even one and a half, right? So because of the stuff that we ask our advisor to do, so we either need to Add advisor ratio to technicians, or we need ancillary help, you know, the parts person, the communications person, somebody to take you know, a lot of that off the advisor's, uh, advisor's hands, you know, the dealer model, right, where all the advisor does is customer service and sales. My current manager, uh, Eddie, is, is from, uh, you know, from a Ford dealer. And, you know, I was telling him he's on vacation now because he's used to dealing with 50 or 60 people a day every day. Right. Right. You know, right. now he's got six or seven. So, <laughs> but he does a lot more than he used to. <laughs> That's the plus that comes from the dealership is, and you get to, if you're really customer oriented, not that you can't in a dealership, but the dealership is such a, call it a puppy mill of repair orders of cars in and out through the day. You just don't get a chance to connect on a deeper level with your customers. So those who are wired for a relationship like that, it makes it easier. You know, the context of what we're meeting today is service advisor incentive. And I want to throw a question out to Brian, because every shop goes through this. We're understaffed. We've got somebody in that position. We're doing our best to put the right person. We're not just going to run out and get a heartbeat because that doesn't work. So I want to put somebody in place, but it takes a while to maybe find that person. But in the midst of this, Brian, as Emily's on the counter and under this, what have you found that's worked to keep her in motivated, incentivized in a sense, maybe not monetarily, but what are the things that, how do you breathe, you know, wind in her sails to not get burnout? For me, I, I don't think it's ever come down to the monetary incentive. We do pay our employees well, always have. 
I find very rarely is it truly about the dollar. If all employees are paid in a spectrum that's competitive across the industry or slightly, you could be slightly below or slightly above, you'll find the conversation doesn't happen around dollars. Uh, It happens around what's around them. And that could be the culture inside the shop, um, what their duties are, what they're in charge of. Um, In my case, I'm an absentee owner. And this, for all, all other words, it's her baby. And she has the responsibility of it. And so she's running as a general manager and advisor. And really, when you talk about how do you motivate, it's by giving control. It's by creating a culture in which I would call it family around her. And, and you know, whether you start off in our, our early morning meeting, where the very first thing we talk about every day, what are you thankful for? And we build upon that. You build this community internal. And, and that's what we've done is, is built a community inside of the shop. To me, that's where the real power is when it comes to incentivizing and creating a place people want to be. Because at the end of the day, if she says, wow, I got offered another $2 an hour somewhere, but I really love where I'm at, she's not going to leave. You can make a substantial increase in pay, but if she's already in that area of where she's making with or above, it's going to be really hard to pull somebody out of an area that they love to be in. And, and she's in charge of her day. We use a service of remote advising as well. So if she's got to take a break and walk off, she hits a button on the phone and she doesn't have to answer the phones. And in my world, I'm constantly looking for ways to make it easier. And Dave mentioned something that uh, kind of stuck out for me for a second there and talking about how the advisor to technician maybe goes one to two. Yeah. And I'm not necessarily a proponent of that. I actually think that you, you might get three or four per advisor if you're managing how parts are ordered, um, how we're communicating with the customers. We have so many things at our, our fingertips, whether it's internet ordering, ability to communicate via text, ability to communicate via email, ability to get customer responses via email and authorizations. And as you compile the technology, this is assuming that you've got an average RO that, uh, that has above a three-hour average on it, you know, two and a half to three hours. You can load up four or five technicians on one advisor. Now, I wouldn't want five technicians all the time on one advisor, but I certainly could see three technicians to an advisor being a norm using the technology around you at its fullest. I've heard that scale over um, over the years. And back when I went to General Motors University of Automotive Management, it's a two-year course, and I got a really cool trophy for it. It was kind of cool. <laughs> anyway, uh, um, one of the things that they said is that they did the two-for-one kind of mindset. They said, however, that's, a, that's not a cookie-cutter size because you'll have, if you have, say, a master-level tech that produces eight hours a day, or a master level tech that produces 12 to 15 hours a day, that's a different writer skill set. That's a different time to build that estimate. And so it really depends on your ratio there. If you have guys that can produce 12 to 15 hours a day, you might be two for one. But if you have like a, a 12 to 15 hour guy, eight to nine hour guy, and a three to four hour apprentice guy, yeah, you might get three or four techs to, to an advisor. Yeah, I kind of see that a little different though, because the average ticket being sold the hour, I think in the old way of looking at it was because you found more things. So there was more things to sell where I think we're finding the same amount of stuff generically on all vehicles. So they're doing the same amount of work, whether they're selling nine hours on the job or three, it's just a matter of what the customer really authorized. For us, I think it's just really about the system, right? The people have to buy into the system. And then, you know, do we have bickering in the back shop at the counter? Are they against each other? Kind of like, Brian, you know, it's a really good culture at his shop. Where our culture is, you know, we're not going to, you know, defy each other. We're not going to work against each other. So when we put it together, 
I think there's a, a time right now where things are running smooth. I mean, we understand our roles. We understand what we're trying to do. And I think we can push the envelope. I think if uh, when one of my advisors is gone, the other one can handle it by themselves. It's a little busier day. There's no, no crying in tears or anything. It's uh, on the horse a little bit for a week. If we had to step another uh, tech in there, I'm sure we can handle it. I really believe that the advisor role is, is way more hands-on than the technician role. It's really about making sure we got things in place. Uh, I could go on and on, but the right phones, the right chair, the right keyboard, the right monitor, all these things that we took for granted. You know, I came from the dealer world too. And I don't think that care and touch was really, you know, in there, like here's your station. And so we, if they told me they, if they had a pink carpet underneath their wheels on their chair, they would uh, be happier Then we just get them a pink carpet. You know, it's all good. We want somebody to really sit in and enjoy. I want my customers to make sure that uh, they're having the best experience they can. But uh, I, any weakness we want to try to overcome, whether it's a uh, you know, rock star advisor or somebody coming up. I really believe it's uh, about getting the defiance from the front to the back is really the first key and making somebody happy and wanting them to come to work. I think that's an overlooked thing. Hey, I think you can buy your way out of most things if you need to, but ultimately there's a ceiling where you're stopped buying yourself. You reached it, you're giving them what they want. Now there's more. So might as well work on the more now. Hey, aren't you tired of being tired after a crazy day at the shop? Take the frustration out of your work by speeding up the processes that bog you down. Start a repair order based on a canned job. Check. Order parts from a menu that includes every supplier within seconds. Check. Now send all that information with photos or videos to a customer via a live chat on their phone. What? No, I'm not kidding. Check that box. Get an approval faster than ever so you don't tie up a bay for hours check. Hey, it gets even better. Once they see the summary of work they need, next time they ask you to fix one or two more items today. Boom, that bill goes up and you make more. Then, get this, they pay you on their phone before they even pick up their car. This could be your life, my friend. Talk to my friends at GetShopware.com. As the trusted aftermarket brand for over 100 years, Delphi Technologies is by your side for every step of the repair process. The Delphi journey doesn't stop once the parts are ordered. Wherever your journey takes you, our quality parts gives you ease of mind when getting your customer's vehicle back on the road. Technicians know and trust Delphi as a quality brand. Each product undergoes rigorous testing to not only meet OE standards, but also enhance it in each opportunity. From 700 hours of spray testing on chassis components to fuel pumps tested for reliability up to 150,000 miles. And safety and reliability is paramount to help vehicles drive cleaner, better, and further throughout their lives. Delphi is also committed in developing products and services to prepare technicians for the future. Take advantage of how-to videos on YouTube, technician-led trainings, and our technical support line and more. Turn to the aftermarket parts supplier with over 100 years of OEM trust and quality. Learn more about Delphi. Visit DelphiAftermarket.com. I do believe this is just an incredibly interesting discussion, which prompts me to want to ask Brian, because I know Emily, she's been on the show before, Brian. You had three, now you have one. Is the volume of the shop suffering or is Emily suffering? The volume's actually gone up. Would I say she's suffering? No, I would say she's. Uh, I would say she's under stress for sure. But in our case, we bridge those gaps with 
you know, we've got a technician we'll pull up once in a while. Um, we had somebody that would come in a little bit part-time. Unfortunately, she's not able to do that right now. So we lost a little bit of additional help. Um, I'd love to say that I've been supportive, but I'm, I've been running a completely different direction. She's just had to balance with what's here. And we've actually been able to increase sales. She still gets out of here by 545 every day. But to get back to systems, as Jeff said too, when you talk about technicians and building repair orders and the systems that are used internal of the shop and the higher producers versus the lower producers, I actually don't know that the high production versus low production matters as much as their ability to communicate what they need with the advisor. And we streamline everything. I mean, you're talking, there might be a time when two technicians in the day come up to actually physically talk. And it's because they can't actually do it in type because it's quicker to go talk to you than it is to type out the situation. Every bit of communication we're doing is electronically. Everything that we're pushing is to expedite. Everybody's got a workstation in front of them. Everybody is, we're a completely paperless shop. So no matter what's happening, everything's getting pushed out through the computer system inside the shop. You, if you need a conversation that's going to happen, you hear a bong in the back and you know that's your computer because you have your own, you have your own noise. You turn around and you, and you respond and. And it's happening like clockwork. And I mean, just sat here just a week ago. There's never perfect, as I would say, to any shop because things go wrong. But for a, a five, in our case, we're running five technicians right now and one advisor. You know, I would say it went pretty smooth considering what we're dealing with right now. Jeff, I think you nailed it when you said systems are so critical to the degree of the size monitor and the chair. God, how many people aren't thinking to that level of detail? Yeah, I think it's more than detail. It's like, you know, Brian knows my story where a year ago I needed to go on the counter. It's a good refresher for all of us managers or owners to to kind of sit where our uh, employees sit or where we expect them. And I noticed some changes needed to be made, you know, whether it was chairs, monitors or height of them or, or giving them freedoms, you know, to personalize everything. When I was at Brian's shop, you know, you can tell Emily kind of has her touch on things. And so, you know, hats off to her. It speaks to you know, this is Emily's area. And this is, you know, in this case, it happens to be the whole front, but you can just tell that that's important. So I, I learned from stuff like that too, just to make sure that we're bringing the personality back in. It all sounds good, Carm, but really the, when we start getting into challenges, objections, time off, maternity leave, all these things, that's when really our systems are, are tested up front, you know, is how can we adapt? How can we make sure that uh, we're compassionate on one side, but yet the, the customer doesn't suffer? So. One thing I didn't mention, which I think is what drives the whole thing, within our shop, it's clear what we're aiming for. It's clear what our objectives are. It's clear where we're going. And by having that clarity, even in a situation, and I, and I would call it you know, almost trauma when you're down three people at the front. I mean, because we are truly mm. down three people because we're missing an assistant in the back as well. So when you're down three people, that should be a trauma situation where, in essence, what's happened is everybody, because they know what the outcome needs to be, we know how many hours we have to produce, we know the dollar amounts, we know what the expectations for customers are, there's, there's no question to clarity. Everybody can fill in that gap when it becomes essential. And so often we get, we get locked into, this is my job, this is my job, this is my job. Right. Well, if we know what the overarching goal is and the aim is, and there's a deficiency somewhere, it takes you a snap of the fingers and you've got somebody up there to cover. At the end of the day, that's where it really comes together. Jeffrey, a big takeaway from what you just said a few moments ago was sit where your people sit. I mean, come on, guys, just put that in, in your vocabulary, put that in the, the meaning of how you lead your business and you'll discover all the changes you need to make in your business. Let's try to jump into, I mean, well, I'm not looking for numbers that, you know, I pay X per hour or X per week, but, you know, in concept, Jeffrey, I think 
part of uh, you what you were talking to me about was bonus pay, percent of gross sales, gross profit, total net, all these cool ideas, end of month, end of year, end of quarter. So let's start this dialogue. Yeah, we chose to pay an hourly wage for our service advisors. So they actually clock in when they get there, clock out for lunch, and then obviously re-clock in. And then when they're done, they're, they clock out. So they get time and a half after 40 hours in Washington State. And it just kind of keeps everything kind of visual at that point. We come up with an hourly wage. We thought we'd give them a, a little bit of uh, kind of promised money as long as they're there. They make this much. And then we chose uh, right now we're in a season where we're giving percentages off of gross profit. So we have a percentage they have to hit with a blend over the whole month. But we also have to hit some qualifiers, too. There has to be, obviously, uh, we have looked at build hours per repair order. We look at uh, uh, some other other small little metrics that we put together. Um, so we don't try to complicate it. We're in the infant stages of converting over to uh, getting them paid off the net. But right now, we're uh, wanting to get our GP percentage up on all of our tickets so we could be competitive um, and stay in business for our warranty. So that's kind of what we chose, a real basic hourly wage. We're going to get paid off the GP dollar as long as some qualifiers are hit. Um, and then uh, obviously we get into super bonus. Of, you know, the, the shop does well at a certain number. So for us, it's over. Uh, if we had to use gross sales, anything over 200000 a month in gross sales, we start getting into some super bonus stuff. Super bonus. God, I love that. Maybe we could make a movie about that. <laughs> okay, maybe DC Comics will pick that up. Got to get Jeff a cape. Yeah, I know. Super, super bonus. <laughs> it's the 25th of the month and Jeff just flies in, lands in the waiting room and says, it's super bonus time. <laughs> okay, I'm back. If we hit 200K on the 25th, I will, I'll get a cape, I guarantee you. <laughs> but you know what I, what I love, Jeff, was where you dove with those numbers. You know, you dove right into what, why you're paying them that way. And I think to me, that's at the end of the day, when we build a plan for our advisors, we have to ask the question, what are we trying to do? And so often when we build that plan, we build it just for the business. There's a million different ways to skin this cat. But what I always tell my employees, I want to be able to pay you the most that I possibly can. And here's the design that I have. How can we achieve this? And, and whether we're paying them off of gross sales hourly plus bonus. Um, what can I do that fits him in? And in my world, it's eight to 12% is what I want to look at for my, my loaded cost on my, on my staff on the front counter. And how can I get you to, the, to that, that top 12% and still get the net that we need out of the business? And it's that, it's that win-win perspective and realizing that if I'm giving you more, how are we going to get that? And really, to me, it's about building that model with them and the understanding of what we're trying to produce. And Jeff, that's, that's what you were talking about is if I can hit 200,000 in sales, all of a sudden I can make some super bonuses to you guys because I'm making money with you. I have to ask Jeffrey a clarification. He says, we're doing all this stuff and we're transitioning to net. And so that really popped my curiosity. Now, are you talking about net profit of the whole company? Yeah. And that's uh, putting in there, uh, shop van gets wrecked, you know, that comes out of the net, you know, uh, the machine yeah. goes down, whatever you want to say. And, and, and of course, that's a little harder to, it's more of a culture thing to get people on board. Uh, that's the whole team look when we start getting into the net. I mean, we're looking at not just employee, customer, vendor, you know, shop. We're looking at like, hey, we're all going to win. We get to this point, we're winning. We just don't want to be at the end of the month, Carmen, go, Man, I almost made my bonus. We're looking at every ticket, every day, 
every week. We're going to look for a blend. We're looking for averages. We're just having conversations. You know, there, it's not about a one-line oil change that came up. It's really about like, are we really going for gold here as far as here's the company's main objective isn't always just money. It's like, hey, we want to have quality customers. We want to do just the best quality work. We want to stand out. We, we could go on and on. It really is. We have to build the work orders. We have to build the relationships. We build the whole thing so we all can succeed and stay in business. And it's not about greed. It's about let's accomplish some stuff here. Let's go big. Let's start like, hey, once we're the net gets like this, let's talk about uh, extra bonuses to offset your uh, medical costs. Let's start talking about, hey, how, how can we help you with your transportation needs? That's where I'm going. I love this. And and it just prompts me that we just don't have time in this episode, but maybe we should come back and talk about how to incentive people off the net profit of the company, which prompts me to think of a million things. A serious single set of books, uh, do they understand really what they're looking at from a profit and loss statement? Are they going to be pissed that something happened and you know to the company? Well, I guess if it's some skin off your back, it's skin off of everyone's back. And I guess you got to have the right culture, the right training for people to uh, see that and accept that. So another, we got to come back and talk about this, Jeffrey. I, I just love the concept. Dave, you were, you were going to say. Yeah, so I've seen a, a myriad of different plans, both from independent and when I was in the dealership. And as a manager, a fixed operations manager in a dealership and getting paid off the net, there were some obviously great things about that because it created a culture of focus awareness of 360 degree view around the business from the key managers. The downside to that though is the lack of transparency. If you're gonna if you're gonna operate off of a net, you must be transparent in your PL and let them see that. Because what they don't want to have hidden from them is the deck at home that got forced into the business expenses or other sundries that shouldn't be there. So you need to have that transparency. If you can't give transparency, I would do the vitamin C word that Brian always talks about, culture. What's your culture? Is your culture hiding? What's up with that? Because if you go net, you can't hide. You got to show that there. Brian made a good point too. In one sense, it's it's not about the money. It is about the money, but it's not about the money. It's the surrounding things that are around that. And so when you when you look at the context of an incentive plan, those two words are really critical. Incentive, what's the context of incentive? It's to motivate. It's to breathe life into them. It's not just, just enough to get by. So many times, well, if, if I pay them this much, they won't quit. That's not an incentive plan. <laughs> That's a compliant plan. And so <laughs> we want an incentive plan that will truly incentivize them. And sometimes you got to customize that in a culture of, well, you got to be equal to everybody. Well, you know what? Somebody produces really good results. Somebody, uh, you got a tech that produces 12, 15 hours a day, and you got a tech that produces seven to eight hours a day. That's two worlds apart. Every industry is like that. I mean, look at the NFL. Brett Favre or the, or the apprentice coming in. Do they get paid the same? No, they're different. Same with advisors. You got one advisor, they're closing six to eight repair orders a day at four hours repair or more, all GPs at goal, and they're having a certain level of five-star reviews and, and a certain amount of word-of-mouth referrals coming in for that wow factor. The critical thing is knowing what your metrics are, like Brian said, where you want to go, but then you need to have some sort of an understanding of ROI. If I pay my advisor, I get a lot of flack for this, but I think advisors should be making 130, 150 grand a year or more in the right environment, the right shop, the right volume. But with that, they get paid that when it's produced. If it's not produced, the burner's hot. And too many times with incentive plans, we look at, we pull away from the negative of a plan. 
we want to go, let's just keep it all positive. Sorry, the burner's got to be hot. There's a little bit of human nature. We were given nerve endings for a reason to feel, hey, that didn't feel good. We need to go and produce that. The other element is context incentive plan is you got to have that plan. I know where I'm going. I know where our team needs to go. I know where profitability needs to go. I know where customer satisfaction needs to go. I know where skill set needs to go. I know my people and their personal development path where they need to go. I have a plan. Do you have a business plan? Now you can make a plan of your to incentivize your business plan to come forward. But so many times business owners are trying to put an incentive plan in an unclear future. And Brian said it. The reason that they can do the one advisor to five right now, because they know where they're going. They come hell or high water, they know where they're going, right? And if you don't know where you're going, you don't have that reason. You'll throw an incentive plan. Next thing you know, it's not a win-win. It hurt the company, paid the employee, or vice versa. It shortchanged the employee, and it was a win for the customer. And now that employee finds out, and goes like, I'm out of here. Planning it out can be a little bit frustrating for a lot of owners because if you do it on your own. It's one of those journeys in life. Don't take that tour by yourself. Get a tour guide, get a coach, get a mentor, get another shop who's a top operator and and follow where they're going. If they're producing what you want to produce, surround yourself with those kind of people. Yeah. Hey, Dave, uh, let's get into some detail here. Uh, sales, gross profit, gross profit triggers. These were some of your talking points. Love to hear your perspective on that. Mr. Shadeen's input is hugely critical, right? If we take what Jeff and Dave and Brian are talking about, you know, the, the culture, the, where are we going? How do we get there? You know, and let's, okay. So let's, let's boil some numbers into this, right? The multiple tricks on an incentive plan is incentivizing the behavior that you need or want, you know, so what is the person responsible for in the business, right? Technicians, we incentivize with a production bonus because that's what they're supposed to do, right? Get cars done, get paid, get them done as, you know, as efficiently and quality as possible. That brings the sales in, right? Service advisor, service manager, you know, a business manager, right? So service advisor, service manager, right? Very closely aligned in what they're responsible for. Sales, how much money is coming into the shop and quite frankly, gross profit because, you know, gross profit drives everything else. They're not necessarily responsible for the expenses of the shop. Like Dave says, right, you know, am I running my boat through my shop? Am I running my helicopter through my shop? If I'm doing that, and, you know, that's an individual decision for each shop owner, then I can't complain when we have great gross profit and lousy net profit because I'm using the business to cover up some of my my personal expenses, right? Again, individual choice, right? So if we're going to circle to Jeff's idea on the net side, it's got to be perfectly clear, right? It has to be legitimate expenses, but ultimately most expenses, service advisors, service managers are not responsible for. They don't get to decide what I pay for insurance. They don't get to decide, you know, how much the electricity costs. So I don't want to ever pull away because of net profit. Now, as the shop owner, I need to know when I can afford to bonus, right? So Mm -hmm. we need a minimum sales level. As a shop owner, if you're not intimately familiar with you, with your profit loss statement, uh, you're not intimately familiar with, you know, where your expenses are and how much it costs you to open the doors every day. You need to be. That's a different carm cast that we've done in the past, but so you need to know those things. So once you know those things, then you can build the incentive plan for the advisor or manager and it has to be attainable. If the goal, if let's just say your break even point for sales on the month is a hundred thousand. And you're saying, I'm never going to provide a bonus unless we bring in $300,000 in sales. 
you're never going to hit it, right? So that's an unattainable goal. So this, that's not an incentive plan, right? It has right. to be something that the people that you're incentivizing can reach. Currently in, in with the plan that I use, we gross profit, gross sales, gross profit is a trigger, it's on or off. And then gross sales is progressive, you know, depending on the percentage above our sales goal for that particular month. And that's based on number of technicians, number of days in the month, number of, right. of days we week, a days we work a week and number of hours we're open, right? We can cut in our parts labor mix. We can come up with a number and then, okay, is that an attainable number? Is it realistic number? If that's the realistic number, you hit this number and then over and above, we start bonusing. But with that being said, um, had a long conversation with people in our group about the gross profit side of the bonus side, right? So if I'm the advisor and I know I'm getting a gross profit goal, I guarantee you I'm hitting that gross profit goal every month. I will be ruthless with my technicians. The moment there's nothing to do, I'm cutting them loose. Get out of here. My labor GP is going to be there every month. My parts GP I can control on a per part basis. I know I'm going to hit my GP. We may not have, we may have like 10 bucks in sales, but we're going to have 60% gross profit on that $10 guaranteed. I always look at, we have to have the correct sales, right? We have to hit our sales number before the GP kicks in, right? I'm not going to bonus somebody when we're not making money, right? So it has to be, you know, it has to be a blended system if we're going to choose to bonus on both of those aspects, right? Brian said, right, a million ways to skin a cat. There's multiple ways to incentivize people. I think over and above the monetary side, we touched on a little bit, right? Um, You know, do we provide training for our people, right? If we're not getting the results that we need and should have, we need to help them do that, right? We need to train them. Our industry is changing dramatically, right? What does that look like to the sales process for our, our advisors and managers, right? If we're using the same skills that we were using 10, 15 years ago, or even five years ago, we're missing the mark. We need new skills, right? And so, you know, Personal training at personal development, right? Leadership training. Yes. Um, you know, that's one of those things we ask a lot of our advisors to do now is they're not just order takers. They're leaders in our company. So we need to look at that as part of it. You know, what kind of vacation plans do we have? You know, medical insurance, right? If you're not offering medical insurance as part of your incentive pay package, you're missing the boat, right? I mean, you got to these days, in my humble opinion. So I'll yield the floor. I think, <laughs> David, that was a, a great explanation because you brought a balance and there really needs to be a balance. As I coach, I do have a major focus on gross profit. And here's what happens. Depending on your business model, if you're heavy into tires, okay, so you did $75,000 worth of tires in one month. Great, but what's your GP on it? You know, the percentage is really low. Probably we had low, GP, yeah. yeah, GP dollar volume and the volume of that GP during those labor hours that you could have been doing something with more GP than just tire GP, you have heavy labor and parts GP, really it comes down to calculating, knowing what your Sorry, GP... I'm in the middle of an earthquake. Are you really? Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, it's, uh, oh, wow. Uh, it's gone. Zero. <laughs> I, I think wow. we saw your camera move. <laughs> that was me. Yeah. It, it literally moved. Yes, my chair moved, my building moved, my walls moved. <laughs> wow. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is a first for the podcast. This is two, two Daves. This is, this is an earth shaking podcast, right? Yeah. <laughs> Literally, wow! That was a that was, was a good one too. It was that amazing did. to see that. We're gonna have to pull that clip and show it. <laughs> wow. My face going ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. You're going to have awesome. to show that clip because like when I'm talking, my face gets really big, so I can only see me. I couldn't see. Right, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but back to the, the, the balance of GP, you got to be careful. 
Like if you throw out like a huge battery sale and you do ten, fifteen thousand dollars worth of batteries in a month, but you're only making you know twenty points on a battery to because of your sale. First of all, did that work to get out of the GP dollar volume? But you really got to calculate and know what is your GP per hour, both parts and labor, and then the combination of those, including a balance of of sublet, hazmat, and supplies. But when you know that number, now you know you have your compass to know. I know when my break-even point is now. I know when an incentive plan is going to hurt, and I know when it's going to be a blessing. And what happens is, let's see if we can do it with my hands, is that too many times pay plans are like this. Sales go up and pay goes up. But in reality, for the come out as a win for everybody, the sales may go up, GP may go up, and the advisors go up, but it's not a parallel line. Otherwise, what happens then, the business takes a huge hit. It's just not equitable for both sides. So somebody said it earlier, it has to be a win-win. When you have a focus of a balance of GP dollars first, then GP percent second. You know, I tried in my shop, I was very GP percent profitable, but the banks wouldn't take the percent sign. They only wanted the dollar sign. You got to look at your GP dollar volume per hour, which is why some people say, I, don't, I can't do engines because they're, they're not profitable only because you're not structuring it correctly. Take the same GP dollar volume to the bank. You would if you're doing low-hanging fruit, timing belts, and the rest of that. And the critical part is that that's just not a manager or owner understanding. Your advisors need to be GP savvy. They need to know every RO, they're checking the profitability. And they, they need that passion from a place of the customers want, want you to be profitable. Because think about it, do your customers, they want the best tech or the worst tech? They want the best advisor or the worst advisor? They want the best tools or the worst tools? They want the best warranty or the worst warranty? They want you to be profitable. There's nothing wrong with being profitable. And so as we drive that, now we have to look at the unspoken elephant in the room is, what do we do with our labor rates? We talk about labor rates around technicians. What do you do with your labor rate around your advisor pay? Have you got that calculated into part of that? Because if you think about it, and I showed a picture a couple of episodes ago with you, Carm, of a picture of a BMW X5 motor and all the parts that are around that. And then a, then a Tesla 3 or 5 series, whatever, you know, electric motor. There's hardly nothing there. We are going to have to build your business model as we segue into the hybrids and the EVs. You're going to have to build a very robust labor rate in order to sustain the lack of parts coming that we won't have the opportunity to move as much as we did before. That's going to shift the future of advisors incentive plans, which is kind of the, the other question I wanted to throw out. I know I didn't put it on our talking points is what's the future of advisors? What does it look like? Kiosk, self-check-in, you know, all the things that are automated, the technology Brian talked about pretty soon, are we going to need an advisor? Is it going to be, you know, order your tune-up online, you know, online. So Dave, you, when you're talking about the dollars, before we jump into that next next piece, because I think you're onto something there as well. But at some point, gross profit becomes net profit. You know, when Jeff mentioned two hundred thousand, for example, if I know my break even at sixty two percent gross profit is two hundred thousand in sales, I know all my gross profit from there becomes truly net profit because everything's paid for. So it's it's critical that you know that break even. Where do all of my fixed costs get covered? What is the dollar amount I have to sell to? Because I know if I'm there then all of a sudden the, the return becomes exponential. And that's really where, you know, as Jeff said, that's the super bonus time because you're getting the super bonus, they're getting the super bonus, everybody's winning once you clear that marker. So let's talk a little bit more about the non-compensation things, Jeffrey. Weekends off, uh, lunch breaks. I mean, how does all that play in? 
one of the advisors we have is uh, comes from the dealer world, and he's used to working, uh, you know, five six days a week. And sometimes uh, he had shifts where he started Tuesday, worked through Sunday. So one of the things that we offered right away was uh, he's not going to work weekends or retail. And so now he's working Monday through Friday. We also changed our operating hours on the storefront. So now they work 7.30 in the morning is when they clock in, but they clock out at 5 p.m. So they're head home at 5. Another thing that we um, offered them is uh, a predictable lunchtime. So one takes lunch for a full hour at 11.30 and the second advisor takes lunch at 12.30 to 1.30. So just uh, putting some predictability uh, with inside their, their job, it seems to work for both of them. One lives close to the shop lets his dogs out at lunch. So that works for him. And it seems to be just uh, little things like that ended up being just, hey, what can we offer that's a little bit different? We also provide uniforms. We also uh, make sure we, we do have a dress code for our advisors. Uh, it's not real crazy. It's just, hey, we want to look similar. So people, when we walk in, they know that we work there. Uh, it's pretty important. We also really, really, really encourage them to work and maintain their vehicles. Both of my advisors uh, came from the technician side a little bit, so they know how to do some of their maintenance themselves. But we do it 10% above cost. We totally uh, want them to take care of their own vehicles, uh, their spouses, medical coverage. We take a poll every year just to make sure the deductible is, is acceptable. We're not going to have a platinum coverage right now, but we vacillate between silver and gold as far as what, what it can cover. We have different needs. We have two of our employees now are uh, they're expecting uh, babies. So that's great. You know, their wives are pregnant. So we want to make sure that these plans are adjusted. Uh, vision, dental. Dental is really important to my employees. None of them are old enough to need glasses yet except me. But when they get there, we want to figure out how to add that. And when we start adding spouses and kids to uh, insurance plans, we want to know what we can do. And so kind of a kicker on that, though, Carm, is, is uh, one of the guys that are having a kid, part of his incentive plan was uh, pretty much from his loyalty and his performance the last couple of years is we're considering, you know, paying, uh, you know, 75% of the spouse. These are all small little things, but when we add them up, it is a larger package. And that's what we wanted. We want to show them we're taking care of you. It's not just a paycheck. Uh, what we want to do is show you that, that this whole thing will come together because, you know, they, we're a family. You know, the family word there is key. One of the things they did at Dave's Auto Repair is that we would do an annual, you know, Christmas party. We'd rent out a bowling alley and they'd bring the kids and the kids, I gave the kids bonuses. I think I gave them a, you know, $10 gift book to Dairy Queen. And, uh, but I also gave to the wives or the spouses, you know, a $250, $300 bonus for leasing me their spouse for the year. <laughs> and it had a really cool effect. My text would come in, man, I hate that bonus, Dave. I can't even call in sick anymore. I mean, I, right. you know, I can't even say anything negative about the shop anymore. You stop that. Dave's a good guy. You go to work. <laughs> it was just, it had a great result on it. Did you ever get a call from a spouse and she says, David, it, it, it's going to be 500 next year? Right? <laughs> um, no, because what I said is I said, okay, guys, you know, this year was this. Here's our next sales goal. We hit these numbers and it goes up. And so they're incentivized as well. One of the things that I found is that the culture, we talk about we're a family culture, but we don't take care of the spouse or the kids. I had one shop owner and I had thought about this. I never really put anything in place for it because... Just it wasn't the right time or whatever. But when they have, and there's, they put a trust fund for a college fund and they put a certain amount of money aside. So when that new baby turns 18, graduates high school, they might have 20, 30 grand for some 
automotive tech school. Just saying. <laughs> Very good. There's so many things we can do for them and drive a, you know, in the industry, the old benchmark, I believe was 20% net profit. I believe that's old school. I truly believe in a worker's worth their wages, including the owner. I believe we need to be heading towards 25 to 30% net. Other industries, they're more than that for the amount of effort and energy and work that an owner has to do, the risk, the liability that's there. So at 25% net and maintain that, that means you're going to drive a certain amount of volume through your shop to get to the point where including your labor rates to where you have the people your customers are looking for to have in place. You got to take care of the spouse. You, you've got to take care of the significant other. And you'd be amazed at the ripple effect that will have in your business when you do that. I'm going to call that your last word. That was excellent stuff, Dave. <laughs> Let's go, go to, to uh, Dave number two or Dave K. <laughs> so happy to report it was a 5.0 earthquake. They, my wife just told me. So that's a big quake. <laughs> The spouse aspect of it, right? I've, I've got, you know, one shop that I've been working with that was having, it's a, a technician thing, but having people get to work late and says, well, you know, let's, we need to be part of their bonuses, you know, incentive to get to work on time. And when they don't get to work on time, you just call the spouse and say, hey, you missed out on a hundred dollars this week uh, because your spouse didn't get to work on time, right? So, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so turn it, you know, you can turn it back the other way too, right? So, <laughs> but I feel burn her hot, right? Right. But the culture aspect, yeah, the non-monetary thing, right? The, the stuff that we were just been discussing with those other parts of the pay plan, right? Call it incentive or pay plan, retirement plan, right? I mean, are we, I think what the direction that we're really looking to for our shops and others in our industry is to become true professionals, right? Not look at yourself as, you know, the, the lowly mechanic that is just so lucky to be able to, you know, get my hands dirty while I fix your car, right? true professional businesses that we treat our people professionally. We compensate them so that they can have a comfortable lifestyle. They can send their kids to college. They can go buy a new car. You know, all those things that, that we see our friends and neighbors do all the time. Um, and, and for whatever reason, you know, we've had a, a poor, uh, you know, a, a non-growth mindset, right? We, we need to, mm -hmm. like Dave Shadeen would say, right? We need that growth mindset. How do we get to the point where we treat our people professionally and take care of them and ourselves and our family, right? I don't want to set that aside as the business owner. We need to make sure that we're properly taken care of and compensated for the, uh, you know, the risk that we take every day to provide good jobs for our uh, careers, for our people. Dave, when you said that 30%, I mean, let's take a big leap and think about how hard we're working, how complicated our industry is, how tough it is to find great people, all the money we're investing in equipment and training and on and on that we should be able to make 300 bucks on a $1,000 ticket. I mean, if you think about that, right? And I think the only way that that happens is you have to have a caring leader, uh, business person mentality. I mean, you, it's not going to happen because you wished it. You're going to have to get into a networking group, hire yourself a coach, do all kinds of training and expect and set a goal. Maybe you're really struggling and you're making two or 3% and you're not going to get to 30 next year. You're going to have to set a five to six year plan. But thank you for bringing that up and challenging us. And we shouldn't walk away with the sheer fact that we should be and must be a high profitable industry. Brian Kelly, your last word. I'm going to piggyback on that a little bit and just say, get committed to it. Because what you're committed to is what you're going to achieve. And that's reality. 
And when we really look at what we're doing for our advisors, it comes down to what's your motivation? You know, what is the reason that you're going to do it? If it's just about the dollar, the entire group's going to know it's just about the dollar. Your entire team's going to know that. Understand what your motivators are. In my world, it's always about a win-win. And I actually look at it in four ways. I say it's a win for my internal customer, the employees, the external customer, which is me, the customer that pays the bills. And then the fourth piece of my win-win is always the vendor. And if it can't be a win for everybody, we're going to have an issue. Something is going to break down. I always say, don't be afraid to get creative. You know, obviously we've all got laws and regulation we have to deal with, but be creative, make it fun and make sure you're going after what you need. And the the little bit of warning, and this is something we haven't covered here today, but don't manipulate because if you try to manipulate, I can promise you the side effect from that is much worse than just putting something in there that is truly a win-win because the minute you try to manipulate people, and create the win for just you. Hey, I know if I create this and this and this and this, everything blows up on you and pretty soon you don't have a team at all. And I've been in groups with people who have lost their entire team because they've walked off because they did exactly that. They've tried to manipulate them rather than create the win-win. That's always the word of caution. You know, go in, go in and seek to do good for the rest. Don't just seek to try and manipulate them into getting what you want. Always great wise words from you, Brian. Thank you so much. I I love the, the, it's, don't forget the vendor. I just so totally love that. We need to do a show just on that. What should vendor relationships look like today? And I have a few opinions on that, having been one, having been one. I bet you do. Oh, you don't know. (laughs) I've heard lots of stories. I can only, oh yeah. (laughs) Jeffrey, the final, final word. I would say uh, the biggest lesson I've learned in the last year is to engage the employees and culture when I walk into the building, just to make sure I'm intentional, not fakey. I want to, I've learned to just be myself who I am all the time. And then that way, if there's some issues with me, I can address them. And uh, listening to uh, what's going on in the different front or the back has been a, a huge thing to me to make sure we're not being divisive. And then uh, lastly, I need to deliver. You know, if I'm uh, making promises or telling people things are going to get better or financially, uh, culture, whatever, I need to deliver. So I, I come up with a better system for myself. If I make a promise or, or lead the team down a certain direction that something's going to change, I, I need to make a plan. And uh, usually uh, there's three coaches on this call, actually. So grab one of these three coaches and uh, make a plan and a commitment. Once they know you follow through, the they follow through too and what they're supposed to do. Dave's full-time coach. Dave is part-time uh, shop owner. Brian's part-time shop owner and, and coach. So thank you guys for bringing here, bringing all your great wisdom. It was a great episode. I loved this episode. Dave Shadeen, coach and mentor, CompuTrek Automotive Solutions. Jeffrey Grassman, president, CarSmart Auto Service, Sumner, Washington. Dave Earthquake Kusa. Auto Trend <laughs> Diagnostics, Campbell, California. I have a new nickname for you, 5.0. Great. He's shaking it up. Mr. 5.0. <laughs> and Brian Kelly, Valley Automotive, Covington, Washington. Thank you all. Great episode. Thanks. Thanks, Thanks Carm. Carm. Thanks, everybody. You guys are great. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. 